I um, just want to gaze at our Savior a little bit here to start off with. So let's, uh, Matthew 23 is where I'm going to start. And just look at uh, Jesus, a couple of the different recordings we have of him. At one point, I got a vision of the prayer room. This was probably years ago now. Um, as a sort of like family reunion with the father sort of sitting there and everybody sitting around in the room, like reminiscing, not really reminiscing, but being like, oh yeah, yeah, this is how I know dad. And this is how I, like to each other and he's right there in the room. And it was just sort of this beautiful, like tribute, I don't know, I guess, but informal in the sense of everybody just telling dad stories with dad right there and enjoying him while telling each other stories about him, um, which I just loved that. It's such a beautiful image, kind of trying to understand like how we relate to each other here, to him. I mean, we're all like talking to him in the prayer room, but also like there's a reason we're together. It's not, you know, one person talking to him in this room. Um, yeah, that's just off of. <laughs> the worship there. So let's go to uh, Matthew 23, verse 37. Um, and this is Jesus crying out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then let's uh, skip backwards to Matthew 17. This is kind of like a, what do these passages have in common? Puzzle. <laughs> Not puzzle, but just uh, looking at him and seeing something about our Savior. Matthew 17, 14. When they'd come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And then we're going to skip to John 16. I'm not going to just read it. You're going to talk about six. But one more passage. John 16, 12. He says to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. For he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak, and he'll tell you things to come. He'll glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And so the reason I, I've pulled out these three is specifically just to look at our Lord and how, as he's ministering, 
in the flesh, in the world, there's desire in him. He's like yearning for something in all three of these passages. I, I desire to like take you, Jerusalem, under my wings. I desire for you guys to get it, for you guys to have the faith to move mountains. I desire for the maturing of faith in you. You know, he, he's planting seeds and he's, he's longing to see the fruit for it. And um, I have things I desire to tell you, but you just can't receive them right now. I, I want so much to like share things from my father, but it's not the right time. Um, so this is a little bit jumping off. Tom has been um, referring us to uh, the passage about the, the wars and, and quarrels among us coming from desire of things that we don't have and yet um, not asking for them. And when we ask, asking amiss. And I just wanted to um, sort of look at Jesus for a minute and say, you know, he has a desire. He has desires in him that are not yet met, but he doesn't sin in it at all unlike the warning of that passage, which is, you know, like you have these desires and you don't ask and when you ask for the wrong things and then you go out and you start taking it out on each other. He didn't at all. He was perfectly content in this position of I have something I want right now, but I know it's not the right time. Um, there's something also in common with all three of these. Like why aren't these things that he desires happening right then. They're not ready. It's due to other people not being ready, right? Other people not being plugged into the Father like he is. He has to deal with the same thing that all of the rest of us do in that there are things that other people are, like, limiting. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a block, right? All the people that we pray for that we're like... Oh, if they would just see the Lord. And yet their will is honored by the Lord. And so all the things we desire for them are up to whether or not they're ready for those things. And we have to be content that that's the goodness and the gentleness and the righteousness of our Lord. But just to point out that, you know, like, this is one of the miracles of our Savior, of our Lord, that he who was there at the beginning through whom all things were created was like limited by people who were faithless. He allowed himself to be limited by people who were faithless, who weren't ready yet to hear things. Which is all just to really say, uh, you know, he was tempted in all things like we are, and one of them is, oh, if you would just get it, <laughs> right? And he expressed it out that way even, without sinning. Uh, let's go to John 14. Paula read this out last week and prayed out of it in the prayer time. A portion of it, at least. John 14, 23. 
Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and he'll come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring you, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it comes, and that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I am no longer taught much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. And I just want to offer there that he has nothing in the, the enemy, the ruler of this world has nothing in him because he's completely submitted to the timing of the Father, because he's unwilling to... Um, see his desires not yet met because of people and yet be content in the timing of the Father and what the Father's doing and not ask amiss, you know, oh, Father, change these people right now. But to ask the right, the right things of the Father. And I'm going to come back to that, like the ruler of this world has come in and he has nothing in me. Um, and expound on that a little bit because that's like, we all want that, right? This is an age right now where the ruler of the earth is looking for those that have openings. And Tom's talked about that recently too. Let's go to uh, Matthew 20, 20. I put a little title here, The Mom of Thunder. You're familiar with the term stage moms? It's like disciple moms. <laughs> or a thing too, apparently. <laughs> Matthew twenty twenty, The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Um, I want to point out here that discontent spreads. This desire for, I want to reach, you know, I want to be elevated. Um, we see this, like, flow from Zebedee's wife, the mom, to her sons, to the rest of the disciples, because they're like, this is annoying. They're asking to be first. Why do we get to be first? Um, and I want to offer that it feels like discontent in our hearts, is kind of a thing between us and God. 
but it's not. It is an unrighteous yeast that will work its way out through the whole dough. And we can sit there going around our discontent and our, I should be better, I should be higher, I should be acknowledged, I should be seen, I should be loved with God thinking it's this private thing, but there is no way you can contain it between just you and God. Now, we got to work that out with him. we got to let him know, this is not righteous in me, but that's different than, Lord, you know, you promised me this and you promised me that, and that person's in the way and this person's not receiving it. That's not. That's, that's going to leak out. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I'm saying all these things because this has been exactly what I'm like struggling hard with recently. So um, if I start to get sound like preachy, <laughs> please know that uh, this is actually um, a testimony and a confession that I'm inviting you to um, receive it from. Uh, okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, let's go to Luke 14. Um, Tom preached on this a little while ago, and it is so the word for us, a word for us, I don't want to say the, because the Lord's saying a lot of wonderful things. Luke 14, 7. So I'm going to reread it because it's good. And I also want to invite us. You all are like so ready to jump in and serve. Um, like, oh, there's a need, you know, I can take care of that. Oh, you know, let me step back and let somebody else go first. You all do that. Um, and it's the easiness of our hearts to look at that and go, okay, well, we're at least 85% there then already. I just need to get the last 15% of this. And I want to invite us not to do that, not to step out of what the Lord's trying to say and invite us into right now by going, yeah, but I've been in groups of people who are a lot more step in front of each other, refuse to help. Because then we're just robbing ourselves of what the Lord's trying to tell us right now. And what he's trying to tell me right now is that while I'll be like, well, let me help take care of that, or I can carry that for you, or you have the biggest whatever, in here, not that at all, or very little that. And it would be easy for me to go, yeah, you know, like I give my kids the bigger portion or I, you know, I, I jump in and go, hey, do you need a hand with that? And rob myself of really going, well, what is it you want to free me from, Lord? So Luke 14, 7. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. 
saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and, and, and he who invited you and him come and say to you, I don't know if I got something messed up in there, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory and presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It is easy, and the world has actually absorbed this. You know, like, we're aware that, like, Christianity has permeated out through world culture and, like, the things that, you know, things Jesus said are repeated by the world. There's a sort of um, first, last, upside down kind of thing that's kind of been absorbed by culture over time. Um, however, and, and like right now, there is a lot of like, oh, the people who are least, we need to bring them up. And I just want to offer that the Lord was not writing, oh, you know, all the people who put down in the lower place, I'll invite up to the higher. It's the people who chose the lower place that get invited up higher. Um, Because there is, there's there's like a, there's a whole distortion of the gospel, which is like all the people who got, who are victims in the world, who got oppressed, who got pushed down, who got, you know, poor stakes, who have no privilege. God wants to put them all up in charge of everything. Which, of course, usually in our hearts is, and I'm kind of one of those people, you know, even if I acknowledge that maybe I have it a little better off, I'm definitely on this side of the line of the people who've got it all good. Um, let's go to Revelation 6. There is so much wrong in the earth. And I have been heartily tempted to get to a place where I'm like, you know, every system is rigged. There is no reward. All the stuff that that uh, David wrote so many songs about. Like, all the people who are evil are getting rewarded. The people who aren't, aren't. And then getting to a place of, like, I'm just waiting for the Lord to set that right when he returns. Essentially putting myself as the victim of all of this nonsense going on. And okay, if I just hunker down and wait for him, he's going to set up a beautiful government that is righteous and true, where people do get rewarded for righteousness, which he's going to, but there's a mindset problem in that. Um, Revelation 6, 9, when he opened The fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, 
O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Are they a bunch of victims of evil people who slew them? They had to choose it, or they're not witnesses. They're no more victims than Jesus was, choosing the cross. And so what I hear him saying is that the blood is not to come save victims. He didn't go to the cross to save victims because he wouldn't need to. If he was going to save victims, he could have come in power and might the first time and been like, you people are the victims. I'm going to take you out of your victimhood and we'll go off to a nice, happy place where no one's going to victimize you anymore. That wasn't what the cross was for at all. The cross was to save sinners. And when I start looking to the cross and his return to save me from anything but me, I'm misappropriating the blood. And his return, his glorious return, is not to save me from the people who hate me and or even say rude things to me, or misinterpret my motives. It's all about saving me from me and my sin. So I said I'd come back to the, um, the ruler of this world coming and having nothing in Jesus. Um. I got really like this sober fear of the Lord thing a couple weeks ago in prayer where I just suddenly felt like the the, um, nearness of the revealing of the Antichrist and suddenly didn't want to have anything in me that would respond to him. Um, Really, just really acutely. I mean, it's not like before that I was like, yeah, you know, (laughs) like, hope he comes and I have some things that, you know, like, but like really acutely, I was like, man, there is a short time to not have something that responds to him. And I want to share that every antichrist I know of in history comes to rescue victims comes with a promise that you haven't been getting what you deserve, and I'm going to set that right. Um, what is it? 90 years-ish ago, you know, like an entire nation went mad because somebody told them, you guys have been trampled on too long, and you're supposed to be rulers and reigners. You're supposed to be the cream of the crop, the ones who show the way for the rest of the world. And this is the root of anti-Semitism every time it springs out, is those people have been putting you down. They've been finding ways to undermine what you deserve, where you should be. They've been stealing from you. They've got it better. 
and they're the reason why you don't. And then just to get a little closer to home, in 2008, hit a couple presidential elections. What was the big thrust was, you young people, it's all the older people have been in charge for a while and you haven't got a say. It's time you had your say, that you were elevated up. You've been victims of the gener- two generations before you. Little generation we can, they can keep forgetting about. But the two generations before you, they've messed everything up. They had it really good. And they've messed everything up so that you can't have it good like they did. It's time for you guys to run things. 2008 presidential election, 2016 presidential election. Yeah. You had everything stolen from you. You had a right to a good life, elevated to having, you had the right to set the culture and that got taken away from you. You should have a higher place than you have now. Same thing 2020. A little bit shorter while ago. Yeah, the last four years, you guys got all of that stuff that you, you know, like you guys got back in 2016, got robbed from you again. We're going to give it back to you. We're going to start it over even better this time with the right people being elevated. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And it's so easy. This is actually quoted constantly. Um, by the world, and by, dis, uh, by a distorted Christianity that says the primary purpose of Christianity is to make sure that everybody's got a fair slice of the pie. But those meek are those who have chosen meekness, never intended to be those who have really terrible circumstances. And I have spent a stupid amount of time in my heart telling myself a story in which I'm a victim and I just need rescue out of that. And the Lord's offering a way out of that right now while there's time. Let's go to Matthew 5.38. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. I just see the beauty of this instruction and that it does take You know, if someone comes along and sues you for something, takes something, says, you have to do this at threat of violence, and you turn it around by the power of the Holy Spirit and go, I'm going to give to you and love you. You've just stepped out of being a victim to being a victor right there. 
to being those who are not just blood spilled on the ground, but those who chose that their blood would be spilled on the ground to to cry out to Jesus. Let's go to Acts 1. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, I do think it's wonderful where the timing of this, uh, because it's easy, at least for me, to imagine that on the front end of the cross, um, the disciples just didn't get it because they hadn't seen it yet. And that what they needed was to see Jesus resurrected in order to understand. But here, actually, he's resurrected. He talks with them for a while, and they're still not understanding fully because they couldn't understand without the Spirit poured out on them. Um, they could go through all of that and have him talk about it all again, resurrected before them, and still be like, okay, so now the time where you're going to like take over, right? Where you're going to kick out the Romans. Where we're going to stop being victims of this Gentile empire. And it's like, you still don't get it. You still don't get it. But pretty soon you're going to get it. By the Spirit. And then my kingdom, you know, is going to spread like wildfire because of you. Uh, let's jump a little later. Acts 16. Twenty-five. I have talked for an hour off of four pages of notes, and today I seem to be doing six in 30 minutes. So it may be short. <laughs> um, Acts 16.25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. 
And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Oh, that's the spirit. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Just the victory. Like they're sitting in prison with, in such victory by the Spirit because they've got no need to see themselves as victims of the jailers that they're there by the Spirit to see a jailer and his family saved. And how much, like how much power is there in that to, to know that we are victorious right now in Christ and don't have to sit chewing on some, oh, I'm not where I should be. I'm not, you know, seen like I should be. I'm not um, understood. But knowing, like we're victorious right now, being content, there's like such a contentment right there to be singing in the prison, see the doors broken open and be like, it's good. We're still here, you know? Not to be like, finally, you know, we've been praying all night that the Lord would deliver us out of this prison. They weren't. They were just glorifying the Lord. And through it, saved a family. First uh, John 5, 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, like he repeatedly says, those who overcome, the overcomers, not the victims, are going to be with me. That those who overcome, those who let me save them from themselves. So I'm going to end um, if the response, respondee, responder, response team. <laughs> Okay, just you. Let's take a moment. Um, I am feeling just the desperation to delight in the Lord right now. Um, it is way too easy right now to think, oh, the time is short. That means I just have to, like, get through it and then see my salvation, then see the time of delight in the Lord.
I'm going to finish with Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And here's the the trap too. If we if we're just looking for our Savior to save us out of just the mess and the attacks and the um, just sin of the world instead of our own sin then we're not looking for him to save anyone else either because we've put everybody in the camp of these are the people who persecute me these are the people who do evil to me I want to be delivered from them then I'm happy when they're cut off instead of longing for them to actually be brought into the camp of those who waited on the Lord and delivered together. When we're victims, love grows cold. But when we're victorious, we have so much space to love even those that make life difficult. and even painful. So Lord, would you give us just exactly what you Yeshua had, um, longing, longing to see these things done, longing um, to see your inheritance, but so patient in the Father and His timing. And would you just help me, just help me tell the right story 